while, while remaining settled in the body in a comfortable posture. Let your attention rest <clears throat> on your primary object of hearing or the breath. Without struggling to do anything special other than to notice what appears. The sounds that appear due to their conditions are known when we attend to them. The movement and sensations of the breath happen due to their conditions and we know them when we're undistracted. So too with any other experience that appears in the mind. Strong sensation in the body. Notice how your attention goes to it. Notices it. Recognizes it. And when it no longer commands your attention, gently redirect your attention to the primary object of the breath. When thoughts appear, when you notice them, recognize the quality of thought, remembering, planning, commenting, analyzing, fixing, rehearsing, whatever the nature of that train of thought is, recognize it without judgment without criticism, without shame, without hurry or struggle. And when you notice that thought, notice what happens to it. Does it weaken? Does it gradually fade away? Does it abruptly stop? Does it continue? Keep noting thinking until it no longer commands your attention. Then gently redirect your attention to the primary object of hearing or the breath. Notice also the background mental states throughout the sitting. Subtler than sensations or thoughts. These mental states are flavors in the mind. A sense of contentment or a sense of struggle, maybe a subtle simmering frustration or dissatisfaction. Maybe there's a sense of being very confident and knowing what's happening clearly. Recognize these flavors in the mind. They're in the background, but they're affecting how we feel, how we think of our practice. Recognize them, identify them, let them be there let them leave. Notice also the impulse in the mind to shift the posture slightly or to swallow or to blink. Every movement of the body is preceded by a mental impulse or intention to move. When we're sitting still, we can begin to notice these impulses and we may or may not act on them. But we notice them as a brief impulse in the mind, the about to moment, followed by either 
remaining still or movement. In this way, our attention notices one experience after the other throughout the sitting. Whatever you notice is okay. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is prohibited. Nothing needs be censored. Merely recognized for what it is a sensation or thought, a feeling, an impulse, momentarily appearing in the mind due to its own conditions. I don't make it happen. I can't prevent it from happening. Mindfulness can notice that. Be at ease with your practice and be attentive. Do you have any questions about practice today? Um, the question is about um, the sunset. What happens? Um, what happens when you watch a sunset? Right? And what to do with it? Um, first, one should notice enjoyment and continue to notice that until it's gone. And then <clears throat> if you notice that it's from seeing colors, then notice the seeing. If you have thoughts about, oh, this is really beautiful, and notice thinking. If you have sensations in the body from standing still or sitting, whatever it is, then you notice those also. And just like any other event in your life, there's a multiplicity of momentary experiences that goes into this um, thing called watching a sunset. And so there is, in, in this practice, we bring our attention to the moment-to-moment -moment experience of it. And no doubt there will be a lot of Seeing, enjoying, sensations in the body, thoughts about what you're seeing, thoughts about the letter you're going to write to the friend about the sunset, you know, the planning and, you know, and then they, what if somebody sees me doing this and there's the bell and I'm going to miss tea and, uh, you know, and the worry. And when you really look at what watching the sunset is, it's about 10% seeing color. And it's about 90% something else. So you might just look to see how much of watching the sunset is really seeing. And how much is imagining, thinking, and other um, pieces of our, of our life that just kind of glom all together and we call it I enjoyed watching the sunset. So in uh, it's a fine line between being absorbed in the seen object and 
appreciating it so much mindfully that that's what you're noticing. So the, the, the middle point of just being mindfully aware of and not objectifying and not absorbing subjectively is very fine. And so you'll probably cross that line many times, but hovering around that area of staying in contact with it, feeling it, and knowing it. That's mindful. That's mindfulness. Right. Good. That's good. Not that thinking's bad, but if you're trying to watch a sunset, thinking is not seeing sunset. comment is, I use the phrase, a sound is being known in, did I use that at the beginning of the sitting? Okay. <laughs> well, isn't that what was happening? Isn't that what is happening? A sound is being known. Uh, you can try either one. If if hearing doesn't really, you know, if that doesn't accurately or fully describe what you experience, but a sound is being known does more fully and accurately describe what you experience, then use that. It's a little bit long and wordy, so my sense is that you wouldn't use that very much. Um, it might be a way of reframing what's actually happening, but the actual experience of hearing sound doesn't have words in it. So I wouldn't, uh, you know, a sound is being known, a sensation is being known, a thought is being known. You know, it gets pretty, um, pretty noisy in there <laughs> if you do that. So <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But it is a way of reframing what's actually happening in that moment. Okay. Okay. Can do. Yes. Uh, what's the value in the quality precision about, for instance, when you talk about you know, all, all this different kinds of thinking that we Yes. comment is about what's the value of knowing the quality of thought precisely as opposed to just knowing that thinking's happening? Nothing really. <laughs> if you can accurately know that thinking, whatever kind, is happening when it's happening, fine. What often happens is we individually have our predilections of particular obsessive kind of thinking. And for some people it's planning, for some people it's rehearsing, and for some people it's commenting, analyzing, fixing, figuring out, we've got our own thing. And often, that which we do the most, we're most unaware of. So, as we begin to identify Oh, here I am, figuring out again. Figuring out, figuring out. Then we can just catch that particular mental state. Hmm? Because when you, when you really look at what's, what's going on behind this, this habit of figuring out, oh, there's a little tension, a little unknowing, there's a little I want to know and, and I want to feel at ease with. And, 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 and There's a lot going on there. But the, the tagline is figuring out. That's how we 
get tuned into that particular feeling, mental state, um, that thing that's going on, <clears throat> that identity. So as we become familiar with the top ten, it just becomes real easy to say, ah, oh, yeah, there it is. I remember that one. There's good old number two. There's good old... <laughs> and it does allow for um, let me back up. That ability to recognize precisely what's going on is a function of perception, a particular mental state, sanya. To the degree that sanya is activated, it supports mindfulness. Perception. That's recognition of what's going on. Recognition, clear recognition of what is going on supports continuity of mindfulness. Continuity of mindfulness, of course, results in deeper concentration, more wisdom. So we could say labeling. And this is, what, this is why we instruct in labeling. For all those who haven't yet kind of gotten on the train of labeling, labeling activates perception. It makes your mind, it makes the function of perception work. It makes it stronger. You know, you go to the nautilus machine that arouses and, and builds up the perception muscle. It's called labeling. And so you struggle. And of course, like any exercise machine that you step on and you, you do a couple of rows and it's like, oh my, yeah, yeah, I can't do this. I'll go to another machine that's a little easier. Just gazing, you know, sitting. Uh, I, know how to do th- I know how to do this machine okay. You know, my gazing muscles are really good. <laughs> but my labeling muscles aren't so good. So we work at it, we work at it, and... In time, our perception muscle is really, and in that it supports mindfulness and ultimately wisdom. Gee, there's it. Mm. Same, same. Yeah. You know, we talk about the different sensations in the body and the mind is the attention is called to them and you know it's hardness tightness tingling throbbing pulsing vibrating blah, 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 whatever it used to drive me crazy not only me i think everybody that has ever practiced with upandita he won't let you use the word sensation i notice these sensations not adequate you have got to tell him what kind of sensation what was the what was the particular sensation? Was it hardness or was it stiffness? Was it stiffness, pulsing? Was it stretching or pulling? Was it... You really have to be right on the experience to know the difference. So, yeah, that's, that's developing perception. Ultimately supporting mindfulness and wisdom. Yeah. Yes. Briefly, I have just a few minutes. Usually thoughts just arise like clouds and, and, and hopefully float away. <laughs> Today uh, I had the experience of a thought arose and, and I guess my mind said, oh, what about something related to, to that thought? And, it's, and it felt like a hand reached down grab out a related thought. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Well, what I'm wondering is, what is a hand? <laughs> <laughs> this, the, the secret Buddhist teaching of the presence of God. <laughs> that hand is a vision or an imagination in the mind of seeing. Please note it as seeing, seeing. 
sitting that it's going to grab it. Where is the related thought sitting that is being grabbed? Well, on a day like this when it's overcast, <laughs> the hand is up there above the clouds, <laughs> and then all the thoughts kind of mix together, and it knows which one you're going to go to. And it. Well, we'll let that one wait for a further talk. <laughs> One, one notice. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. question is about the use of the breath as an anchor and using that a lot or alternatively doing a choiceless awareness and that there are some energy differences and sometimes he feels a preference for one or the other or considers that if he just stays with the anchor, which sometimes seems easier, he sometimes feels like he's doing a second-rate practice. So basically, I hear the question is, what are the um, benefits and limitations of either? The instructions, as we lay them out in sequence, starts with either hearing or the breath. And we do that in order to begin to collect the mind. The mind in our everyday lifestyle is very scattered, very fragmented, not very collected, actually, not very present most of the time. And so to get a clear experience of mindfulness, we direct the mind to a very specific, precise, and ever-present object, the breath. So it's useful as a focus, and for giving us a very clear experience of what this participatory awareness is, where we are actually feeling something and knowing it at the same time. It, of course, develops mindfulness, concentration, and the understanding of the nature of the body. Tightness, pressure, tension, okay? With some continuity of mindfulness, there is a development of mental energy. Not physical energy, but mental energy. And that mental energy 
is experienced as a, a facility in being with the breath and being, you know, coming, returning quickly and not drifting off so often or so frequently. And there's a lot more energy for just mental energy, for just being present. What we notice with that increased energy in the present is we start to notice a lot more experience. We can't keep our attention on the breath. Even if we wanted to, we can't. Because the nature of mindfulness is to notice what's happening. When it gets some development, it starts automatically noticing other things. Particularly predominant sensations in the body. Initially, they're very clear. And as much as we want to stay with the breath, our attention is drawn to other predominant experience. The instruction is, when your attention is drawn to other predominant experience, let go of the breath, be with it, fully. Turn your attention fully to that. Be mindful of that. Okay. With some facility in that, we begin to notice even more subtle experience. Thoughts, uh, sensations, intentions, uh, mental states. Not because our mindfulness isn't good and can't stay on the breath, but because that's the nature of mindfulness, to notice what is happening. Okay? So it's not like you're doing something wrong if you can't stay with the breath and you're noticing everything but. That's the nature of mindfulness. Okay? Unfortunately for us, the nature of the mind and body is chaos. And so when our mindfulness gets good, gets a little bit good, and we can't keep it on a single object very much, and we open to what's going on, it looks terrible. And so we think, oh my God, my mindfulness has gone to pieces. Not so. Actually, your mindfulness is actually quite good. Noticing everything that's going on. But because we have a misunderstanding of what experience of mindfulness should be, we think, i got to get back to the breath. <laughs> and so we struggle to stay with the breath, creating a lot of tension, ignoring and denying the obvious predominant other experiences, and we create a lot of tension. The instructions are, again, use the breath to anchor the attention initially, as and when you become aware of other predominant experiences, note them, or be mindful of them. Feel them. Both staying with the breath and noticing a choiceless display of appearances in the mind, both are insight, a vipassana. Okay? One of them isn't, uh, staying with the primary object of the breath, isn't only concentrative. Staying with the breath as... Um, directly felt experience is vipassana. Vipassana means seeing the three characteristics of anicca, nata, and dukkha. If you stay with the breath, abdomen or nostrils, wherever it is, and you actually notice the texture of the feeling, the sensations, and you see their impermanence, I mean you actually feel it's there and it's gone. That's insight. That's direct perception of impermanence. So don't be mistaken that Staying with the breath is not insight. It is. So in that, with that understanding, whether you stay with the breath or whether you're choiceless, whether your awareness is choiceless, doesn't make any difference. But, in the course of practice over a retreat, it seems that we make some initial effort and then we reach a certain plateau where we're reasonably mindful, more or less mindful, and we're aware of a certain range and a certain depth of, of uh, choiceless experience. And in a day or two or three or a week, it gets familiar. It gets easy to be at that level. And then the mind starts drifting and wandering. We feel flat. We feel like practice isn't going well or whatever. And if 
you mention it to your teacher, they'll say, mm, why don't you go back to the breath? Work with the breath. Work the primary objects a little more. What we're actually doing is encouraging you to increase um, the continuity of your mindfulness. Not that your mindfulness has slipped. It's just gotten familiar with a certain level. And to increase your mindfulness, you have to give it a task. You have to give it an assignment that it can't quite do. So you say, okay, note, go back to the breath, or work with the primary wish, or start to note intentions. You know, anywhere, anywhere in the... We didn't just give the instructions to note the intentions once, way back at the beginning of the retreat. You could, you could stand to get that instruction about once a week, because you'll plateau out somewhere, and then you're missing plenty, don't worry. And so it's just, oh, start noting some more intentions. And you start it again, and it, it builds up a little more continuity, more concentration. You see a wider display of phenomena. And so you, you keep going up or you keep going down through layers of the mind, reaching a place where it's familiar, and then churning up the energy a little bit, meeting all the hindrances again, and thinking, God, here I am back at the beginning. You're not. You're going through the next layer in the mind, up or down, however you want to understand it, and struggling with the resistance, the, the blocks, the tensions, whatnot, the holdings. And with the heat of increased mindfulness, you break through that, and then, oh, a new display. It's like calmer, stiller, or more anger, or more frustration. Okay. So you open to that, and you learn to be with that, and you plateau out again. And after a couple of days of that, it's just like, oh, this is pretty easy. <laughs> you know? And then a good teacher would say, why don't you start noting some more intentions? So that you keep work, so you keep having an assignment that you can't quite do. You know, it's like going to school. You go to first grade, and you learn these lessons, and God, they're hard. One plus two is one, you know, three. And after you learn that lesson, if you go back the next year to first grade again, and you learn one plus two, it's going to be boring. It's going to be. I mean, you're just going to be bored stiff. So. They say, okay, now a hard one. Two times three. How do I do that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know. And so you got to you got to work at something that's a little bit hard. That's called staying on the edge. Huh? Playing the edge of your practice. Biting off just a little bit more than you can chew. But not so much that you choke. <laughs> When the mind's observing chaos and the phenomena just arises intensely quickly and passing away yeah. intensely quickly, that's fine. But what I find is it creates so much energy mm -hmm. that eventually it, it allows or creates the mind to wander off. But it's the energy is too intense and the phenomena still arising too intensely to come back to a single object. Sometimes grounding in the body helps. Um, but because of the the force of the phenomena arising keeps pulling the attention to that, and yet the velocity of that often spins the mind up. The question, uh, the comment is about the, the frequency with which stuff arises in this chaotic feeling, and the energy that comes with it often just spins him out. Sometimes he can ground himself in the body and stay grounded so that the energy is... is contained or channeled, and sometimes it just gets spun off. Hmm? It's, the spin-off's quite momentary because the attention is quite strong, so it comes back. Where, where does the mind go? Um, just with, with one of your appearances in the mind? Usually thought. thought. Yeah, thought. But it comes back pretty quick? Yeah. Mm, no problem. Most of the time. Okay. When there's a lot happening like that, I wouldn't try to stay with the breath, with a single experience, but I would try to stay with the awareness of whatever's appearing. So that we're not so much caught up in what is appearing, you know, sensations and thoughts and this and that and memories and blah, 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 oh my God. No, it's just 
settle back. I mean, physically, just really settle back. And mm, I, don't, I don't mean this literally, but metaphorically, identify with the awareness. You're not the awareness, but if you can move the identification from what is appearing to the process of observing, and then you might, you might note you know, every tenth thing that appears. Just something occasionally. So it's like, oh, I thought. And then you're back here with awareness. That's it. Strong sensation. Back here with awareness. Back here with awareness. And there's times when the mind is wandering off, but it's still flowing fast. That's what the phenomenon is flowing fast. And you can't ground, or it seems hard to ground. What do you suggest? When there's a lot of energy there's a lot of objects and you can't stay present. Sounds like restlessness to me. Hmm? You know, it's kind of like, it feels very restless. This is like you're cooking with energy and you can't be with anything in, in particular. It's just kind of bubbling over. Hmm? Oh. Hug a tree. <laughs> They're not going anywhere. <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> you got you got ten seconds. The seven factors of that arise in each moment of consciousness that I Attention, intention, singling out an object, or picking out, choosing an object. Okay, decision there. Contact feeling. Contact feeling. And it's volition one. Yeah. And how it relates to the present. Yeah, intention. Volition is intention. The other one is psychic life. What's the other two? Uh, psychic life is one. Psychic life. Psychic life. The, the, that which is present in a, a body, the moment before it dies, and isn't present, the second after. Huh? You have a corpse. What is missing from a fresh corpse from the moment before? This thing called life, hmm? that is carried along in each moment of consciousness. And I can't remember what you've identified. Contact, feeling, perception. Perception, recognition. In that perception, just any of those, context, feeling, perception, uh, intention, and any of them, uh, energy, may be more or less developed. So that as, as you practice, mindfulness may turn to one of those mental factors in any moment and notice it very distinctly. Or it may not. But they're all there in some, they say, in some degree. So enjoy your day of hugging trees if necessary. <laughs> Do you have any questions about practice today?
What you noticed seemed fine to me. And we don't always have the option of choosing what we're going to be attending to so that we might be really attentive to the content of the story and as you acknowledge to feel um, the feeling maybe more deeply or to feel more open. At other times we may be quite attentive to the sensations that are happening simultaneously, if you wish. And there may not be such a feeling of openness or there may not be such a, a depth of connection with the emotion or there may, that be, there may be that feeling that there's not the depth of connection with that emotion. I wouldn't get too fixed in the belief that one is more open than the other. And I would let the attention be with whatever is most predominant. Whichever calls your attention, be with that. Sometimes we recognize the feeling through the story. Sometimes we're totally caught up in the story and we don't even know what the feeling is. That's what we're not particularly interested in. Running around in the story, in the justification, the rationalization, and belief, and all that, without really being aware of what the feeling is that the story is hiding or masking. That's not particularly helpful. On the other hand, the line between indulging in the story and being mindfully aware of the feeling, content included, is very thin. It's just, it's just a hair's breadth difference between indulging unmindfully and fully feeling mindfully. It's just, it's just that much difference. And so we often find ourselves doing just that, just kind of flipping back and forth on that line, just feeling like we're really indulging and then just recognizing that and feeling that little bit of space and for a while and then dipping into the indulging again and just kind of teetering on that balance point. That's very precise awareness of just how slippery identification really is and how precise mindfulness can be. And we don't always have the choice. It's notice what you can. Questions about sitting posture and whether it's important or not, and how to learn, etc. Generally, I would suggest to initially sit comfortably, whatever that is for you. And it may be in a chair, it may be on a cushion, it may be on a bench, it may be lopsided, it may be slouched, it may be... It doesn't matter. Because if it feels comfortable to you, the mind will be most relaxed, most open. If you're assuming a very correct posture by any standards, whether yogic or, or some uh, anatomical uh, map, if the mind and body are not relaxed, if they're very tense in holding a posture, 
not likely to be the balance of mind, the ease in the mind to open. So sit comfortably, then pay attention. In the course of paying attention, your posture may shift slowly or dramatically, or you may find at times that you're very upright, you know, anatomically um, right angles or whatever it is. You know, a chiropractor would say, mm, very good, mm-hmm. And there's no effort involved. And other times you may be totally curled up like a pretzel and feel fantastic. And the mind can be perfectly balanced in that. So I wouldn't get too dramatic or too concerned. Sit comfortably, pay attention. If your posture shifts subtly or dramatically to another in the middle of a sitting, fine. If you find yourself tense and holding the posture in a certain way, whatever it is, curled or straight, then relax that to something that's more, more comfortable. Ultimately, this practice isn't about having right posture or um, right proportions or anything particular about the body. Ultimately, the body is going to go to pieces. And we don't always have control over that. And we can be totally crippled in many ways and still be free. I wouldn't be too concerned. There was, a, there was one man in the monastery where I lived in Burma. And his name was Uthain Han. And he used to be a judge, uh, a federal, uh, one of the federal judges in Burma. And when he was about 40 or so, he just decided that wasn't for him. And he just moved into the monastery and he lived there. And he had a, some disease. And he was just bent over double all the time. I mean, he just, he just couldn't stand up straight, he couldn't sit straight, he couldn't, you know, he looked like he was in excruciating pain. And he was the most loving and gentle and wise and patient person, not the most, but he was extraordinarily bright-minded because he practiced. So don't be too concerned. Can you, I'm not quite sure I know what the question is. And so the question comes, uh, in this comment, uh, her comment was, being aware of the story of a strong feeling and being aware of the feeling, but not feeling particularly mindful. This is maybe the most painful place in practice, when we have just enough mindfulness to realize how stuck we are. And then the lamenting question is, all right, I know I'm holding on. How do I let go? 
I know I'm caught by my desire, my anger, my frustration, whatever. I'm fully immersed in it, and I'm aware that that's what I'm fully caught by. How do I let go? Isn't that the question? How do I get a sense of freedom? How do I get a sense of space around that? How do I get a sense of not being caught when that's just exactly what we are aware of? Patience, patience, patience. Each moment of awareness or each moment of clearly recognizing, being mindful of that particular condition, weakens it, weakens your identification with it. Now, of course, the mind, there's 17, they say, 17 trillion moments in a snap of a finger. You know, even if, you know, 5 trillion of them were mindful and the other 12 million or billion weren't, we still might feel more identified. Hmm? So it's just, uh, just a, little, <laughs> a little more steadiness, a little more continuity, uh, just a little more continuity to the awareness of it. And when you are aware of the being caught by it <laughs> and the frustration, the sense of frustration that comes with that, the sense of disappointment, the sense of doubt in practice, the sense of doubt in yourself that compounds that identification, be sure to note all those too. <laughs> because that's what perpetuates the identification. It's just the continual commenting, judging, and evaluating of your practice. It says, oh, God, I noted it once and it's still there. I guess practice doesn't work. Mmm, not good. <laughs> so, so persistence, persistent recognition. Yeah. So it's quarter past nine and uh, time for another moment of mindfulness. Um, there might be a guided meditation tonight instead of a Dharma talk. So check the board later in the Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.